0: pray for you. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather today and study your word. Lord, I thank you that your word is forever settled in heaven. It's never changing. It's the sure foundation of our faith in you. Lord, I pray for those watching online, those listening to this on our podcast, and those listening here in the auditorium. Lord, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us today. Lord, give us your heart today for the lost, Lord, we we pray that we leave today with a heart for the hurting, a heart for those that are hungry, for those that are thirsty. Father, I thank you for stirring us with a passion for souls. Lord, I thank you for giving me wisdom and direction in ministering your word today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. We're in a four part series called The Power of the Invite. Everybody say, invitations, Invitations. they're powerful. powerful. They're powerful. We talked in week one about how when someone invites you to do something, it makes you feel all special. When you get the invitation in the mail to, to go somewhere fancy, you're like, oh my gosh, they thought of us. It's, it's, it's something that, that makes us feel included. And in week one, we talked about Jesus being the great inviter. His whole life, he was inviting people to leave their, their way of living and to join him and to receive a new fresh way of living. Week two, we talked, about, uh, uh, we talked about Philip and how we need to be like Philip. We need to be chariot chasers. And I shared last week, if you weren't here, you should go back. It was a great message about how, how we're called to go. Everybody say go. go. Are y'all awake today? Yep. And we're going to go to the world. They're not necessarily always going to come to us. That it's our responsibility to get outside of our Christian bubbles. Sometimes we live in a Christian circle where we're surrounded with all Christian people and it makes us feel safe and cozy, nice and and warm and and fuzzy. But the truth is, is that's not who God's called us to be. He's called us to challenge our flesh and go reach the lost. I had a, a message on Instagram this week from a good friend of mine in this house. He said, I was at the gym, pastor, and a guy came up to me and said, how come you've never invited me to church? He said, man, I felt convicted. He said, well, I'll come. I hope he's here today. He said later that week he was at the gym again, and somebody said, hey, I heard you go to church. Why haven't you ever invited me? That's powerful, but what's even more powerful is us stepping outside and going to them and saying, hey, man, I've been seeing you for a while. We've been doing life together. Would you come with me? I want you to meet this Jesus that I serve. So we talked about the great inviter. We talked about being chariot chasers. Today, I want to talk about how to create a culture for outsiders. I want to talk about what we need to do as a church to make sure that when Jesus sends them, we're ready for them to welcome them. I yeah. was reading a book by Pastor John Burke a few years ago. It's called No Perfect People Allowed, and this is what he says in the very beginning of the book. He says the church is facing its greatest challenge And its greatest opportunity. You know, challenges are also opportunities. As believers, you need to see your challenges. James talked about all those tests and trials, consider them pure joy. Because guess what? There's an opportunity there. He says our greatest opportunity in this postmodern, post-Christian world, God is drawing thousands of spiritually curious, imperfect people to become His church. But here's the question, how are we doing at welcoming them? I like what John Maxwell says. He says inside of each person is a homing device drawing them back to their creator. The Bible says that that Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they're going to draw all men to Him. He said if we lift Him up, He'll draw all men unto Him. And I want to ask you today, if He's drawing them to us, does that put some responsibility on us? I believe what our founding pastor has taught us for decades, and that is we're in partnership with God. Yes. Turn to your neighbor and say, wake up today. Wake up. We're in partnership. Yes. Turn, to, turn to your other neighbor and say, we're in partnership. Yes. Listen, there's a responsibility that happens. God is the one that draws them, and our responsibility is to welcome them. Yes. Are you guys awake today? Yes. I don't know if y'all had your coffee today, but we already I'm just tell we had church first service. So I'm going to invite y'all, come join me. Listen, we have a partnership with God the Father, with God the Holy Spirit, with God and Jesus the Son. He's going to draw people to his church, and we have a responsibility to welcome them. I was thinking about a young man who years ago when I was a student pastor, he was the loud mouth in the youth group. You know, there's always one loud mouth. There's always one kid that's kind of, he don't care what anybody else is doing. He's going to draw some attention to himself. And this kid was a standout. I was, I was a new youth pastor, and, and the old youth pastor would just put up with him. You know, just put up with him over and over. And I would get up to preach, and, and in the back, he would be talking while I'm preaching, and he'd have a whole group of people sitting there talking and turn around in their seats. And so I kind of got frustrated. Pastor Earl, after a while, I was like, he's distracting me. Yep. So I called him out. I said, hey, yeah, you, shut up. <laughs> I'm doing the talking. And he said, why don't you shut up? That's what I said. I was like, whoa. <laughs> wow. Another level here. And I said, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to minister, and there's a bunch of hungry people, but you're being a distraction. So just chill out for a minute. We'll be done in a couple minutes. And he kept on nonsense, and week after week, this went on and on and on. And then I'd see him out in the parking lot with doing stupid stuff in his car with people, and I just finally got fed up with him. It was week after week. I finally told one of my interns, I said, the next time he starts acting up, just take him out, man. Just get him out of here. Just remove him. I thought I was doing the right thing, and the next week, man, he was acting up, and I gave my buddy the kind of the eye, like, hey, man, I'm, I'm done, and so they asked him to leave, and of course, he refused, so they escorted him out, and it was a huge fiasco, and it ruined the service. Told him, I said, hey, after service, I went and saw him. I said, hey, man, I, I love you, and, and I believe you, you know, you got greatness in you, but, but I'm asking not to come anymore. I said, you're a real distraction, and, and I really don't want to deal with you anymore. It's obvious you're not here for the right reasons. I said, so, I, I love you, but, man, I'm asking not to come anymore. Guess what? He didn't come to church the next week. He stayed in the parking lot. Smoke pouring out his windows, and all the kids are out there hanging out with him. And I realized, man, this guy's got influence. And so I went after service. I said, hey, man, I don't think you got the memo. I do only, not only want you in the building, I really don't want you on the property. You're not welcome here. You're, 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 your choices and your decisions are a distraction. I would ask that you to go do something else on Saturday nights. In that moment, I wrote that kid off in my mind. I'm not saying it was right. I'm just being transparent. I'm not saying it was right, don't judge me, you've done it. But I was thinking if we could just remove him, we can actually have church and people can grow and the youth will be excited and da-da-da-da-da, parents will feel safer without him here. In that moment, I wrote him off. Kind of just said, you know, as my grandmother used to say, he's just a bad apple. And he needs to go find another tree to attach himself to. And I left that youth ministry a year later and I got word when I was in, I moved to California a year later and someone called me and said, hey, you know that kid? I said, yeah, James. And they said, yeah, yeah. And they said, he got arrested. And some part of me was like, yeah, (laughs) it's about time. And I thought, I'm again, I'm just being real. I, I, I couldn't see the good in him. He, all I could see was how much of a knucklehead he was. And, and I kind of thought, well, man, good. He's in jail. That's what he needs. And a few months later, I got a call. And they said, hey, man, we went to visit James in jail. He's, he's not the same kid. He, he got saved in jail. Yeah. Well, y'all, y'all are clapping. I was thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> I bet he did. I'm sure he did get saved in jail. And they said, no, 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 Pastor, he, he got saved in jail, man. Something's happened to him. It's not the same kid. And I kind of had a, I'll believe it when I see it attitude. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I kind of just, again, I'm just being transparent. I, I couldn't think of anything great about this kid. And I get a call a few months later that said, hey, James is out of jail. and He's enrolled in the Bible school at the church that I kicked him out of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I thought, well, man, maybe, maybe something is happening with James. Like, wow. And then the Bible school director called me and said, hey, have you heard about James? I said, well, I heard he got arrested, and then I guess he met Jesus in jail, and, 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 and he's in Bible school? And he said, he's not only in Bible school, he's turned into the number one soul winner this church has ever seen. He's out every weekend preaching to all the guys he used to do drugs with and ride skateboards with. Man, he's preaching, bringing people to church. Like, man, God's doing something in his life. I lost touch with James after that. And in 2020, during the pandemic, James called me. And he said, hey, man, he said, I want to know if you would do a Zoom call with my congregation. I said, your congregation? He said, yeah, I pastor a small church in Arkansas. Would you do a Zoom with me and preach to our church over? And I thought, man, there is a God. Holy moly. (laughs) Miracles do happen. And In 2020, I got to speak to him and his church via Zoom, testifying of man what God can do. I got to be honest with you, though. I felt really bad. I still feel bad. Because I had given up on James. I had written James off. There's a story in... It's in uh, Mark chapter, uh, Luke chapter 7. We read about a lady named Mary Magdalene. Yeah. We don't know much about Mary Magdalene except that before she met Jesus, she was demon-possessed. Yeah. She was crazy. She wasn't in her right mind. The Bible says that she had seven demons, and then when she encountered Jesus, she found freedom in a moment. Yeah. The Bible goes on to tell her story. And, and it's, it's funny because it's like she got written in when others had written her off. When we celebrate the resurrection in two weeks, which we're going to do in grand style here at IFC with three services, listen, Jesus was right. The story says that when Jesus came out of the tomb, she was the first one there. Some scholars say that she's the apostle of the apostles. What am I trying to say? Listen, we can't be so quick to write people off based on what's going on in their life. It's just a chapter. It's not their whole story. Jesus loves to write people in. I I wrote this down a few years ago when I talked about this. I I said to you, and I'm telling myself, we tend to write people off, but Jesus tends to write people in. Today, I want to talk a little bit about inviting and, and being chariot chasers, but I want to talk to you as a church. I want to talk to you as your pastor to how do we create a culture that welcomes outsiders? How do we create a culture that that writes people in? They already feel wrote off, but for whatever reason, they felt comfortable enough, invited, intrigued by the Holy Spirit to come to IFC and check us out. How do we engage them and welcome them and make them feel like family? Number one, we have to recognize that, that God uses supernatural power through ordinary people. If you asked me at 16 what James Bolton would do with his life, I probably would have told you he's going to end up in prison. But God had another story. Yeah. God saw James' ordinary mess ass. Oh, man, here's just another way we're a teenager, but God can do something through him with an open heart. We, we have to get this in our minds because for us it's naturally easy to see someone that looks different from us, talks different than us, lives a lifestyle different than us, and we write them off immediately based on external things. Look at how they're dressed. Look at that. Look at their hair. They didn't look like they got a job. I mean, it was just how we are. We're, We're naturally minded, and so our natural mind judges people right off the bat. We have to recognize that God's supernatural power works through ordinary people. Listen, you don't need to shout. I'm talking about you. You're ordinary. You had some junk in your life, and God showed up, and by the grace of God, some of us are doing amazing things, but if we looked back on our story, if we were real open and honest, man, we were messed up too. We find this in Acts 4.13 when Peter and John were arrested, it said they couldn't take their eyes off of them. Pharisees the Sadducees they had captured them after the healing of the man at the gate called beautiful the Bible says he was asking for some money you got it you got any you got any change hey man you got a cigarette hey hey you got anything you got a sandwich most people wrote that man off yeah. the Bible says that they had written that man off time and time again because he was there Every time they went to the temple and prayed, but one day something happened to them and they reminded that they had encountered Jesus. Maybe we should encounter this guy. And the Bible says they said, we ain't got no money, man. I don't have a cigarette. I ain't got a sandwich, but by the power we have in the name of Jesus, man, you should get up. And the Bible said his ankle bones began to get strength and he jumped up and began to shout and dance and run around causing a commotion. And then they grabbed Peter and John. It says they couldn't take their eyes off them. They were standing there so confident, so sure of themselves. Their fascination deepened when they realized these two men were laymen with no training in the scripture or formal education. They recognized them as companions of Jesus. The disciples, if you look at all of them, they were ordinary men with an uncommon calling. By statistics, by outward appearance, they're just normal people. But when Jesus called them, they were instantly qualified to be used of Him. I like to say it this way. God isn't looking for qualified people. He's looking for available people. He's looking for people who are willing to say, I ain't got it all together, but in you I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I've messed up my life for so long, yeah, I'll I'll follow you. Sounds like you're going a better way, and because I'm following you, I'm now going to become a fisher of men. We have to look past the ordinary and see people through the supernatural eyes of Jesus and see greatness in them even when they can't see it themselves. The second way that we create a culture that invites and welcomes the lost is we have to be authentic and transparent about our past. Yeah. Come on. You were messed up at one time too. Yeah. I think sometimes that we forget how we first came to church. Do yeah. 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 you remember the first time you walked into church? Yeah. Yeah. Carrying guilt, carrying shame. You, you know your past, you know your story. You're freaked out because you think everybody there, man, they're all holier than you. And the truth is, they're not, Come on. except through Christ. Yes. I think it's important that when people that look different than us, talk different than us, act different than us, that we invite them in and we're transparent with them and understand that, hey, I, I used to be like you, but because of Jesus, I'm now this way. Yes. Everybody's on a journey. I want—I will say this to you the way I wrote it down. Everybody deals with the lie, we're not good enough. And most people that come through the doors of our church, that's the first lie that the enemy tells them even before they get here. You're not good enough to go there. You remember what you've done? Remember who you were? Remember what you said? Every one of us deal with issues and we're all on a journey. And it's important that we're all here in this house, real, authentic. I like what my friend Rick Bizet says. He says, be real because being fake is exhausting. Some of us are tired just because we're trying to live two different lives. We're trying to act like we all got it together. Really, no, we don't have it together. There's something that happens in the life of an unbeliever when they understand, man, that, that we are the same. We've just been redeemed. They haven't yet. So I want to tell you this. Let's be real as people come to the church. There's nothing greater than sharing your story about where you used to be, how you encounter Jesus, and what you're like now. Because a lot of people can identify with our past. I said they can identify with our past. But for whatever reason, religion wants us to put on this helmet and say, don't tell them who you used to be. Don't, don't tell them what used to happen, where you used to go, who you used to be. Religion says that. I want to tell you, there's something freeing about saying, hey, yeah, you're right. I, I'll be honest. I, I used to be this. But I want to tell you, Jesus changed my life. And if he'll do it for me, an ordinary person, he'll do it for you too. Transparency is huge in the church. I like what uh, Romans 3.23 says. He says, for you all all have sinned. fallen short of God's glory. Listen to this out of the Message Bible. Eugene Peterson says it so well. He says, there's no difference between us and them. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and we've proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us. God did it for us. Everybody say, for us. for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. It was a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we were in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it through the means of Jesus Christ. It's important that as people come in and we engage people That we tell them our story. I talked to you about this a little bit over the last couple of weeks. That we share our story about our past, where we are with Jesus, and what our expectation is for God's plan in our life moving forward. What does it do? It, It builds their hopes up. It builds their hopes up to see somebody that is walking with the Lord at a greater level, but used to be where they are. The third thing that I want to talk about as we endeavor to create a culture that that writes people in is that that we understand that church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. I don't know about you, and again, I, i go back to your story. I grew up as a pastor's kid, but I was that James Bolton. The story I just told you about the kid going to jail, I never went to jail, but that was my story. I was that kid. I was the guy that was always causing trouble and didn't want to be involved. And I knew when I went to church, every time I walked in, I felt like I walked in somewhere I didn't belong because it felt like it was set up for saints in kind of a museum kind of facilitation. I was always worried I was sitting in somebody's seat that I was in the wrong place. The ushers would bring me down front, sit me down, and I'd be like, oh, I don't belong up here. Some of y'all thinking that this morning as they sat you on the front row. I'll just be comfortable in the back. Insecure because we know who we are, but listen, this place exists for those that are not here yet. I said we exist as a church, not for us to have our country club, our seats, our cliques, our groups, but we exist, and the reason we gather together is to make sure that the lost can come in and find health and healing that they need. Matthew chapter 9, I'm trying. Matthew chapter 9 verse 12 Jesus overhearing them shot back Who needs a doctor the healthy or the sick The context for this is he's eating dinner with Matthew the tax collector we talked about last week who was despised he was a cheat he was a liar he was a thief Jesus and his disciples are having dinner at his house and they overhear what's going on and they shout in Hey who needs the doctor Jesus says, who needs the doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what the scripture means. I love this. He says, I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Oh, it's so good. He's here and we exist not to coddle those that, that are comfortable, but to actually uncoddle you and say, hey, maybe, maybe, just maybe. You're doing well enough, we need to make room for some that aren't doing so well. Yeah. Come on Come on Go ahead. I was thinking about this term "hospital." It means "hospitality." The true definition means an institution providing medical or surgical treatment and nursing care for sick or injured people. That's what a hospital does. Here's who we are. We're the the mighty, mighty church. The organism made up of all kinds of people, and we're called to provide spiritual treatment and care for sick, broken, and lost people. Our goal is to connect them with the great physician. Our goal is to connect them with the great physician. You know what I hate about uh, the medical industry is we always get referred, you ever go to the doctor because something's wrong and they check you out and they're like, oh, I, I would love to help you, but that's not my specialty. You need to go to a specialist. Right. A few years ago, I was doing some painting in an old garage and as I was painting, I needed to scrape the ceiling off and a, a piece of old rusty metal fell down and landed in my eyeball. And immediately I was felt like, oh man, there's something in there. Something's in there. And I, tr- I got a water bottle. I tried to wash it out and it, whatever it was, it was stuck. I mean, it was in there good. And it was Friday, and the the clinic had already waited, so I did what any guy would do. I went to CVS and got a pirate patch. Come on. (laughs) on. Y'all know you would do it. Y'all know you would do it. And so I went and got the pirate patch. That next morning, I, I took the patch off, and I opened the windows, and, man, it felt like somebody had punched me in the eye. Saturday and Sunday, and I called the doctor on Monday, and they said, you need to go to an ophthalmologist. I said, opt to what And they said, it's the people that work on your eye, Mr. Roberts. And I, I scheduled with the ophthalmologist, and I went there, and they put these drops in my eye, and they took a tiny drill, and they, they cut it out. It was a little piece of metal stuck in my eyeball. Listen, Jesus is the great physician. Listen to me. He heals all. I don't care what's going on with your toenail or whether it's your mental health. Jesus Christ is the great physician. And when people come into the house of God, they understand they don't need to go somewhere else to get specialists. Jesus specializes in all of it. But we have to make that room known. That's for us to make it known that, hey, if you'll come, I know your marriage is broken, but may God's the restorer. I know your kids are going crazy, but guess what? God is the one that brings peace. And if you come into the house, to the hospitable place where Jesus is, I can guarantee you he's gonna heal all that ails you. This place should be and is, and will continue to be forever, a place for those that need help to come get healing. Let's make sure that as people that come in broken, And it's obviously that they're hurting and things are messed up that we don't treat them like, oh, man, they got something wrong with them. Because we invited them and told them the physician was going to be here. I've been guilty of this. Where I felt like I was supposed to bring some people that I did life with who were hurting and broken, and I was too embarrassed to bring them because I didn't want them to be embarrassed. Because they didn't look like us. Their mouth didn't talk like us. They were from a whole different worldly culture, and I was embarrassed. And the Lord has always just gravitated back to say, Josh, if you'll bring them, I'll meet them. Church, the local church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We do this very strategically here at IFC. We try to make sure that Sunday morning services are for everybody. That's why I like teaching out of the Message Bible. Some people say, oh, it's a paraphrase. Who cares? It's Jesus. Go read your King James. I'm trying to make sure that everybody that doesn't have your education level can understand. I I understand that that sometimes it may seem simplistic. We, We teach in series format so that people can continually grow in the faith week after week after week. We can take a topic and we can really put it in their heart. I like what my friend Hal Hardy says. He said, man, you come to IFC, we'll put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Everybody get some. I don't know if you've been to other churches, but sometimes you go to churches and they talk on such a theological level. I'm not even sure I'm saved. What's he talking about? We create an environment with our guest services and all of our teams to make sure that if you bring the lost man, they're going to get the best treatment. We're going to love them just like we love you. I I think about our small groups and for decades, Pastor Tom and his team for creating groups where people can come and be open and meet people. We have a phrase here, it's kind of cliche now, but I love it, and it is circles are better than rows. Yes. That's right. Many of you sitting next to some people today, you didn't choose to sit next to them. We placed you there. I'm sorry. <laughs> the truth is you're going to get up and you're going to leave and not meet them and not greet them and never get to know them because that's how Sundays work. But that's not how Monday works that's not how Tuesday works. That's not how small groups work on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday. We've created small groups to where, man, you can get to know somebody. You can take the mask off. You can be real with them and understand, wait a second. I'm not the only one that's nuts here. There's a whole bunch of other nut jobs here too. And Jesus is working in them. I think about how do we do this? How do we provide a hospital for everybody? You know, they have children's hospitals for just children, but I have C man we, we have a hospital for everybody when we got kids care upstairs. You know, your, your students, your kids this morning, listen to me, if you're a parent and you're new, you're you're not getting babysitting service today. I said, if you're not getting babysitting. I thought, I'll just drop them off with the babysitters upstairs. No, no, no. You don't know it, but man, they're, they're preaching the gospel to your little ones today. They're praying the perfect will of God down over your children. Their ears are hearing the word. It's dropping into their hearts, and seeds of greatness are being formed. Why do we do that? Because we want your family to be taken care of. Right. We believe in the whole family. I'm thinking about all my teenagers that are in here today. Would y'all make some noise for the students that are in here today? Listen, we love teenagers here at IFC, and once a month, the first Sunday of the month, we call it Worship with the Family Weekend. We think it's important that we take communion together as a family, and that we worship together and hear a same message, but listen, every other week at the second service, man, Philip and his team, man, they're investing God's Word in your students' hearts. Think about all the different groups. We've got a a group of men getting ready to go to the Warrior Conference here a few weeks up in New Hampshire. You should come with us. If you're a guy, this is kind of like testosterone weekend. Me and Mo and a few guys are going to ride motorcycles up there and we're going to worship with this heavy rock band. We've got stuff for men, small groups for men to connect. We've got women's groups. I was thinking about our our young at heart group. We believe in the elders of this house. What we have here, just so you know, is pretty special. I've been to a lot of churches where it was all old people and no young people. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> and I went to a church that was all young people and no older people, and guess what? It was really weird. Yeah. <laughs> i tell you a story, and this is taken out of my note time, but last week when I was with Pastor Mark Brzee, he shared something with me. He said there was a tribe of people in another nation and they had these young elephants that came into the town at night, and they were wrecking the town, tearing all kinds of stuff up. It just chaos. People were in fear, and they didn't know what to do. They couldn't corral these young elephants. Day after day, week after week, they were demolishing all kinds of stuff. I mean, people living in fear, and so they went to a sage guy, a guy that had wisdom beyond his years. Someone that had been in that tribe for a long time, and they said, what do we do? What do we do? The young, the young elephants are going crazy. And he said, where's the long tusks? And they said, the, the long tusks? He said, yeah, yeah, the long tusks. The, the elephants that are in their later years, their tusks are long. Oh, we took them out. They, they weren't good for much. We took them out. We, we put them in this field on the other side. They're out there just kind of grazing. He said, why would you do that? Well, we needed to make room for all the new young ones. He said, go get the long tusks and bring them back in. And they brought a few of the long tusks, the older elephants, and brought them back into that community. And overnight, the young ones chilled out. They chilled out. They stopped destroying things. What am I trying to say? We need each other. Generations working together, some long tusks, setting the example for the young tusks. We have that right here at IFC. We celebrate everybody in whatever age. We do that intentionally. Guess what? It keeps health and vitality and balance here at the church. It allows mentorship and guidance for young people who are just starting out. I'm grateful, just so you know. At 46, I'm grateful for those that are way beyond me. Because you have built a place for us young bucks to get a little rowdy and say, Hold on, hold on, hold on, on." (laughs) And guess what? Together, when the generations work, we can impact our communities at every single level. That's great. That's great. Talking about creating a culture that writes people, and my last point is we need them to be known for what we're for, not for what we're against. As a church body, our our, our stance should be we're for everybody. There's a lot of churches that Wonder why nobody comes. is because they talk about all the things they're against. We don't allow this. We don't allow that. If you look like this, if you taste like that, you smell like this. They've got all these rules and regulations and nobody wants to go there. That's called religion. Yes. In Luke 4, 18, we find Jesus unrolling the, sc- the scroll in the synagogue. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. What's good news to the poor? Wealth and prosperity. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to announce that captives shall be released and the blind shall see, and the downtrodden shall be freed from their oppressors, and that God is ready to give blessings to all who come. As a stance for a church, we need to be known for what we're for, not what we're against. We're for peace here. At IFC, we're for peace. We're for freedom. We want everybody to be free. Find, find freedom from the shame of your past. We're for deliverance. We're, we're for families. We're for the underdog. Right. Turn to your neighbor and say, that may be you. We're, we're for the underdog. We're for the outsider. We exist for the loss. We exist for the hurting. We exist for the failure. Let me say it very clearly. We're for you. Every one of us falls into one of those categories, and we need to let others know what we exist for. We have four statements that we love to say here. We we, we exist that you may know God. Our prayer is that on Sunday mornings you would come and experience a relationship with Jesus Christ on your own. We, We exist that you would find freedom. And our small groups are set up for that. That you would deal with yesterday's drama and enter into the greatness that God has for you in this season. We exist that you would discover your purpose and find your destiny and that we'd love to exist to give you a place to, to serve and to make a difference in the lives of those around you. That's what we're for. Let me say it to you this way. We're for people. We're for people in whatever stage they find themselves in life. I want to read you one last scripture as I close out of Matthew Matthew 22. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he had bested the Sadducees, they gathered their forces for one last assault. One of the religious scholars spoke up for all of them, posing a question that they hoped would show Jesus up. Teacher, which command in God's law is the most important? Jesus said, love your God with all your passion, all your prayer, and all your intelligence, for this is the most important. It's the first on any list. But there's a second to set alongside of it, and it is this: love others as well as you love yourself. And these two commands are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hang on them. One final statement, and that's this: to create an environment where we write people into God's story, we must love them as much as we love ourselves. If we're going to invite those and welcome those that God sends, it means we make room for them. It means we love them where they are. It means that we speak blessing and peace over them, that we grab hold of them and say, hey, come on, we can walk with us. We got room for you. Because here's the thing, that's what happened to us. For each and every one of us, someone came alongside of us and said, hey, you don't have to stay the way you are. You know, I, I love our, our culture here, and it is come as you are, but we like to say it this way, don't stay as you are. The goal would be that you come however you came. That's fine. You're, you're here now, but don't stay here. There's so much more that God wants to do in your life, and as people come in and they begin to, to flood in with their issues and problems, let's help them take that next step in their spiritual journey by writing them in and letting them know IFC is your home. Your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you a couple questions as we prepare our hearts for Easter coming in two weeks where we're gonna have an amazing time. We're gonna celebrate the resurrection. I, I pray that you've already put someone's name on the wall out there and you're praying for them and making plans to invite them. I started this statement, this service with this statement, we write people off, but Jesus writes people in. Let me ask you, is there someone in your life that you've written off? Based on their attitude, based on their actions, based on something exterior. I wanna encourage you, pray for them, write them back in. They've got a great story ahead of them. Is, is there somebody right now in your life that you know they're not right with God and you're kinda of keeping them in arm's length? You really like them, you're really not the same personality, you don't really have anything in common with, them. but for whatever reason, God's placed them in your circle of influence. Uh, circle of influence. And maybe you've kind of kept them in an arm's length. Maybe it's time to invite them in and write them in. My final question is, as we continue to invite outsiders, would you help us as a church to love everyone that God sends us? It's gonna take all of us in every stage of life to surrender ourselves and say, hey, I'm grateful to be here, but I really wanna help somebody else get where they need to be. Will you help make room for them? They may look different. They may talk different. They just maybe need a friend. They maybe need a prayer. They might just need you to point them to Jesus. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. I want to ask you, do you know that Jesus I've been talking about? The great physician. Maybe you're new here or you've just been here a few times and you're kind of checking things out. I want to invite you right now in this moment into your own relationship with Jesus Christ. Not your mama's religion, not your daddy's Jesus, but you and Jesus one-on-one having your own relationship together. Maybe you're watching us online. I extend this prayer to you as well. All across this room, you need to know Jesus has a plan for your life. He spent 33 years walking this earth, giving us a pattern on how to love humanity. And then he gave up his life. He died on a cross to Bridge the gap between sin, the sin that separated God and man. We believe that he was raised on the third day and when that happened, man, now our communion with God was reestablished. We get to do that with simple acknowledgement and saying, I need that, I want that. All across this room and online, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need Jesus. I want Jesus in my life. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you, put your hand up and put it right back down. I want to pray for you. One, two, three. All across this room. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Say, pray for me, pastor. I need Jesus in my life. I see you. Yes. Yes, sir. I got you. All the way in the back. Yes, sir. Got you. Got you. Got you. Yes. Anybody else want to see her over here in the back? Yes. Yes, sir. Got you. Say, include me in that prayer. I want want to know that things are right between me and God. Yes, ma'am. I got you. Yes, ma'am. All the way in the back. One more moment. Just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Listen, let's let's just not get in a hurry right here. Maybe you're here today and say, man, I knew Jesus. I know who he is, but I'm not walking with him. And I need to. I need to get things right. I need to. I need to give him a call. I need to get reconnected with him. That's you and you're in this place. Put your hand up. Put it right back down. Say, Pastor, today I'm recommitting my life to Christ. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, yes. Got you. Yes, yes, yes. All the way in the back. Would you look at me? But all across this auditorium, God tugging on people's hearts online. Let us know right there in the chat if that's you. We want to pray with you. But let me tell you, this is why we do church. This is why we come so that people have an opportunity to receive Christ. So whether you've prayed this prayer before or you raised your hand for the first time, maybe you were one that said, hey, Pastor, I want to recommit my life. Would you say this prayer after me? We're going to pray it out of our heart. Say, dear Heavenly Father. Come on now, say it like you may. Say, dear Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sins. Anything that would separate me from you and your perfect plan for my life. I believe Jesus paid the price for my sin. Today, I receive him. I receive that resurrected life. I declare him the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.